Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, you are truly the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for your gracious concern for us to give us such blessings. We confess our blindness and our dissatisfaction with your word and the means you have chosen to comfort us. Give us faith to believe you even through all difficulties. In your name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Holy Gospel appointed for the feast of Saints Philip and James, according to St. John, the 14th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am. You know where I am going, and you know the way. Lord, we don't know where you are going, Thomas replied, so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you would also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Have I been with you so long, Jesus answered, and you still do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I am telling you, I am not speaking on my own, but the Father who remains in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the works that I am doing, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. These are your words, Heavenly Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. While Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples after they had eaten their last supper together, he taught them. And that was often how he did things. The meals he shared were always accompanied by his teaching. How much more in this supper of his body and blood. In this case, they were about to see him betrayed, tortured, crucified, dead, and buried. As such a trauma was coming to them, Jesus wanted to comfort them and prepare them. Tradition says that that house where they ate that last supper in that upper room, that that house was owned by Mark's family, the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and that the disciples often met there. Possibly this is the same room where the disciples came together and prayed after Jesus ascended into heaven, and where at least two Christians were raised from the dead as recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. In the end, the actual place doesn't matter, but we can take this point that it was a place of worship where the disciples gathered in Jesus' name, just as we gather here in his name. And as he promised, in fact, where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am among them. Now, sometimes when we quote that passage, we tend to abbreviate it. We might say where two or three have gathered, there Jesus is. 
And I have to admit that even when I was composing this sermon, my fingers typing that passage almost forgot those three words, in my name. The devil so wants us to forget those words. Our sinful flesh doesn't particularly see the need of those words either. And the world certainly values meaningful gatherings, but Jesus himself doesn't matter for their purposes. But as Jesus tells us here, believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we can see from this occasion in the upper room that Jesus is telling you that there is a place for you. It comes in him. Jesus gives it to us. And even while we don't see it fully, but we instead find ourselves in limitation and often in trouble and struggle, Jesus comforts us even now. If this upper room really were the place where the disciples gathered so often after Jesus' ascension, I wonder whether they were thinking of these words of Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. And those are words that we certainly can think of each and every time we gather here. Maybe not directly, but this is why our sanctuary is designed the way it is. It reflects a heavenly reality. It reflects those mansions that Jesus is preparing for us. That's where Jesus has gone, after all. For Christ did not enter a handmade sanctuary, a representation of the true sanctuary. Instead, he entered into heaven itself, now to appear before God on our behalf. You see, the Old Testament sanctuary of the tabernacle and then the temple represented that heavenly sanctuary. And God was present in that sanctuary, sitting on his throne. Of course, that throne, the mercy seat atop the Ark of the Covenant, was infamously sequestered behind a curtain, a heavy curtain in the Holy of Holies. But through the death of Jesus, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Through that death, he won our access into glory. So we can see in our own sanctuary now, the place is open. And the altar and the throne of God are visible before us. We've been given access to him. He's with us. There's a place for us. You know where I'm going and you know the way, Jesus told his disciples. Thomas was baffled as all of the disciples likely were, and he said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Sometimes the hardness of the disciples' hearts just astounds me. But later, when I see how they preached and confessed the truth, it's I who am ultimately put to shame. This need to understand, in fact, is in all of us. Thankfully, we have the apostles who have taught us in the scriptures how Jesus has gone into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to reign over all creation, and to serve us with his gifts. In this same lesson that Jesus taught here, as recorded by the Apostle St. John, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. You know him, because he stays with you and will be in you. 
And this is how the disciples were made to understand what Jesus was giving them. You and I are given this understanding by the Holy Spirit as well. It's done by Jesus. With his spirit, he sends his means of grace, his word, and his sacraments. And those things provide us with himself. They give us the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus asked his disciples for something here. And he asks you for the same thing. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. All Jesus asks for is faith. Now, by demanding faith in this way, first of all, we see that Jesus is claiming to be God himself. And by claiming to be the exclusive way to the Father, Jesus is claiming to be above all men. This is the divine Son of God himself, who is mysteriously also true man, Mary's son. It's through him and him alone that we receive blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Jesus is not only God, he is also true man, and he came to undo and repair all that the first man had destroyed. St. Paul in his letters draws this comparison a number of times. He says, so then just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. For even before the law was given, sin was in the world. Now sin is not charged to one's account if there is no law, and yet death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like Adam's trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment that followed the one trespass resulted in a verdict of condemnation, but the gracious gift that followed many trespasses resulted in a verdict of justification. Indeed, if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through the one man, it is even more certain that those who receive the overflowing grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then just as one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will become righteous. For since death came by a man, the, right, the resurrection of the dead is also going to come by a man. For as in Adam they all die, so also in Christ they all will be made alive. When Adam disobeyed God and ate from the tree, which had the curse, the way became shut. God drove the man out, and in front of the Garden of Eden, he stationed cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. When Jesus obeyed God and died on the cursed tree, he opened the way so widely that he could say to the repentant thief, Amen, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The paradise of a new Eden is meant, where in the middle of the city's street and on each side of the river was a tree of life that yielded twelve kinds of fruit. When Adam betrayed God's word and traded his truth for the lie of the serpent, he became a child 
of lies that all his offspring are described. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and did not remain standing in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he lies, he speaks from what is his because he is a liar and the father of lying. But Jesus is the word of God, and he has destroyed the darkness of lies and appeared to the world full of grace and truth. He's the one described in Solomon's proverb, a truthful witness saves lives. In his truth, he saves your life. And therefore we see too that when Adam ate what was not permitted, he received the death that God had promised he would. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the soil, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. When Jesus drank the cup that his father commanded him to drink, the cup of wrath, and he himself died, he became the source of our life. For at that time, we killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And because he is raised, his life becomes ours. Through Jesus, our Lord and our God and our Savior, we look forward to that inheritance of life in the place that he has prepared for us. But we do still wait in trouble, and so Jesus comforts us now. Jesus demands only faith from us. That's not something that we're capable of accomplishing. But it's only through faith that we have comfort in our affliction. Philip says what's on the minds of many, perhaps even some of us here today, Lord, show us the Father. And that is enough for us. If only we had some clear sign or proof that what Jesus was teaching was true, that we could really believe in the hope that he was promising us. We just need that clear sign to get us through the difficult days. Jesus answers with love. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I am telling you, I am not speaking on my own, but the Father who remains in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe because of the works themselves. So we're asked by Jesus to cling to the plain word and to look for no other sign. St. John recorded at the end of his gospel how Jesus told Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, and the apostle wrote, but these <clears throat> are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is how that believing comes to us. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes through the word of Christ. So yes, faith isn't something that we come up with. When Jesus tells us to believe in him, he gives us that very faith that he demands by the Holy Spirit through his word. And the faith that he gives us clings to that same word, and by it we have life. He's teaching you through that word to trust God, even though you do not see or feel even now how help may come to you. This touches on the suffering and the adversity we face now, which 
hopes to choke out our faith and make us despair. Remember that these disciples had several occasions on which they thought things were hopeless, even while Jesus was present with them. One time there was a storm on the sea while they were on a boat, and Jesus himself was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to drown? Peter once saw Jesus, as the other disciples did, walking on the stormy water toward them. But Peter asked him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And when Jesus did so, Peter walked a few steps. But then when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid. As he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hands, took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And Jesus said a similar thing to those disciples in the, in the storm. Why are you so afraid? Do you still lack faith? And maybe it's because faith was tested so often that our sanctuaries take on another feature, that of a ship sailing on the heavens. The belly of the ship pointed upward. And that's why the area where you sit is called the nave, related to the word navy. You are in the boat, and I imagine the Christians who designed sanctuaries this way wanted to remind the worshipers of those occasions when the disciples were so afraid on a boat, and that Jesus had to come and comfort them on those stormy waters, as he comes and comforts you even when you don't see anything but storm and waves. Because if those disciples could be weak in faith while Jesus was with them, you and I who don't see him with us can certainly be weak in faith. But Jesus wants to comfort you now. With faith, that gift of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the word and sacraments, no sorrow and no misfortune can overcome you. St. Paul calls faith a shield with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's not because faith is strong, but because of what faith holds on to. Those disciples in the storm-tossed boat didn't hold on to the sails or the mast or rigging or their own courage. They went and pled with Jesus. Even weak in faith, they sought the one who was strong to save. And Peter, when he sank, he didn't try to wheel himself back up onto the waters. He didn't try to close his eyes or his ears to the dangerous wind all around him. He cried out to Jesus to save him. Even this weak faith reached out to the one who was strong to save. Jesus gave this assurance. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I tell you. The one who believes in me will do the works that I am doing, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Now, do you believe that your prayer is powerful? It's not Powerful because you pray so strongly or because you know exactly the right words to say. In fact, you do have the greatest words to pray in the words that Jesus himself taught you, beginning with that address, Our Father who art in heaven. But what makes your prayer so powerful is the promise of Jesus that he and his Father are listening 
That's something that you can be sure of here. When you gather in Jesus' name, and when you pray in Jesus' name, he hears, and he will do it. You can be certain that whatever your enemies do, whether it's sin corrupting you and removing God's blessings from you, whether it's the devil riling up all kinds of attacks, both physical and spiritual, or whether it's death bringing you into the grave, whatever terrible thing happens to you, God can and will reverse it. In his son, Jesus, look at the reversal he has promised you, a place for you whatever you ask in my name and you will live even if you die because we believe this because we have faith in jesus power and promise to reverse all our misfortune the suffering that we face now is only half troubling that is only our flesh is troubled by the suffering while our spirit rejoices we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patient endurance and patient endurance produces tested character. And tested character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Remember how it is that Jesus' glory came about. He had it from eternity because he was by nature God. But he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. And as a human being... That night, after he had this precise talk with his disciples, he was betrayed. And over the next day, he was interrogated, he was tortured, he was crucified. He died. He said of that coming passion, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It was through his death that Jesus was glorified. This counterintuitive message is what St. Paul calls foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And because Jesus came to his glory, his resurrection glory through death and a cross, you and I will also suffer death and a cross, but with our eyes fixed on that glory that's already ours, the place that Jesus has prepared for us. So don't forget how it is that Jesus is with you. You don't have to feel him. You don't have to try really hard. He's with you when you gather with one or two others in his name, with his word and sacrament. So he's here because of his promise in that word and sacrament. You know that there's a place for you. And because there's a place for you in heaven... There's also a place for you here. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.